episode 139 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, but longtime listeners of the show know that already. We also know you can find out everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio at our website, monsterkidradio.net. That's where everything's at. Our links to our Facebook group, our contact information, our YouTube channel, all of that's there. You know where I'm at right now, though? I'm not at my website. I'm at the Hollywood Theater. I just got out of a screening, a 35mm print screening of The Wolfman. Wow. And I didn't do it alone. This was a Monster Kid Radio crash, and Chris McMillan came to the Hollywood. Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm riding high, man. I'm coasted. I loved this. This was a lot of fun. What did you think? Oh, man. I love this. I mean, <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times, but I keep forgetting the little bits, the parts that really make this movie great. You know, it's an iconic film for good reason, and we all know the Wolfman stuff. We all know the transformation scenes, and I think we all kind of know that Larry's kind of a creeper at the very beginning of the movie but there's so much more that you see on the big screen as a film print how long had it been since you had seen the wolfman before tonight i saw it last year because i got the wolfman collection okay but i have never seen it on the big screen and yeah larry's a creeper (laughs) oh my god the first half hour is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a little on the, uh, it's a different time, I guess, a different time. Um, Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just say it's different. I hadn't watched this uh, film, I'd say, in a few years. Now, I'd watched things like Abbott and Selmy, Frankenstein a lot, but oh, yeah. I haven't seen this one in a long time. And it's a much younger, more vibrant, more energetic Lon Chaney or Lon Chaney Jr. And it was nice to see. Yeah, it was. This is where he's at the top of his game. Yes. I mean, he is Larry Talbot. I mean, you can see him in the other Wolfman. Well, not Wolfman, but Frankenstein meets Wolfman. House of Dracula. House of Frankenstein. Uh But this is where he's really, really selling it. Mm-hmm. And the transformations, they're not really part of the movie. They're just background stuff. Mm-hmm. You can almost see where the screenplay's version of this, where it was supposed to be a psychological mm-hmm. drama, comes into play. Because the transformations really aren't there that much. I mean, Pierce's makeup, awesome. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're downplaying that at all. I mean, no. I, I agree. We all know that. Yeah, but he doesn't change in and out of it as often as he does in the later films. Mm -hmm. So you can see where it's like this psychological drama where is he really or is he not? You don't know until the end. You know, he's selling it as an actor. And, you know, I want to move on to Claude Rains here in a second. But I think what's fascinating for me about this is this is not the first Universal monster movie that he did, that Cheney did. Yeah. Um, but this is the one that he would become known for, and he really does make Talbot his own. And like I said, he's he's not burdened with all the other things that you get from all the other movies. He's just this leading man guy who finds himself in this terrible situation that may or may not be in his head. And we don't have all the other continuity that we have to get settled down with. So he's running around, he's doing his thing, he's acting. He's not just a monster movie guy, you know? Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And not only that, 
the way the movie's built, you don't know if it's mm -hmm. really a monster until about midway, mm -hmm. you know? And then you see the first transformation. It's like, oh, okay. But until that point, he's selling it as he's a victim. Yes. He's truly a victim of this. And he sells it so mm -hmm. well. You know, he does have the greatest arc in the movie. I mean, it's his story. He starts not as a victim, but it's a suave kind of, you know, I'm the American in this European city and he's I'm a, a suave creeper. Okay. He's that too. But then he does get the bite and he does become the victim. And then it's a, is he or isn't he? Am I, or am I not crazy? And he really goes on this great journey. I was really taken with Claude Rains this time around. I was really watching him and he's a man of science and he's oh, confronted yes with this supernatural werewolf running around that may or may not be his son. And I mean, up until the very end, he's not even buying any of it. It's all, it's in your head. It's in your head. I don't even think he buys it until the very end. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, no, we will solve this through science. <laughs> and it can't happen. It, mm -hmm. it just can't. You can't solve this problem through science. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't accept that till the very end. And when it does, it's tragic. And it really makes Frankenstein meets the Wolfman even more tragic. If you, if you remember the beginning of that, where Talbot comes back alive and he finds out his father's been dead for years mm -hmm. because of what happened. It just makes that even more tragic. Mm -hmm. The relationship between the father and son, they were estranged. They come back together. They put it behind them. And then... Talbot Sr. has more to lose than just his son. He's got his estate and his legacy, and it all falls on Larry's shoulders, and when that happens to him, it's all gone. And it's, it's like you said, tragic, I think, is the key word here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, it's tragic in all sorts of ways. Him and his uh, love interest. Oh, yeah. Him and his father. Everything is tragic. Yeah, I mean, everything that could possibly happen to this poor guy happens to this poor guy. You mentioned the love interest. Even Lil Anchors. I oh, love yeah. her. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to love her. Come on. She's great in this. She had awesome chemistry with Lon Chaney Jr., despite the fact in real life, they did not get along. She did not like that man. That's what I've heard. But you wouldn't know it watching this movie. I mean, she is smitten with the Chaney. And not only that, they've done other movies together. Seven and they've always hit. Mm -hmm. There's this chemistry. I don't know where it came from, given their animosity. Acting. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> well, her character's interesting, too. And like I said, it's been years since I've seen this. But all of these characters, they're not the stock characters you'd find in some of the Monster Match movies, like The House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, which I love. But these characters all have this great depth. And she's this engaged woman but she's still going out but she's not and there's some really interesting stuff happening here character wise there really is i mean her character is liberating yes for the time yes that's the best way to put it she is you know she's engaged but she's intrigued by this guy who's i'll see you at eight o'clock i'll see you at eight o'clock <laughs> no you won't yes i'll be there at eight okay well not only that I know what earrings you're wearing because I have my telescope. I mean, that's just creepy. But she's still intrigued by this guy. And she's engaged to someone else. But she's still going out with him. 
but she's bringing girlfriend along. I mean, yeah. it's a liberating thing because I think it was the 40s. It was in the 40s, so that does fit perfectly with the women's liberation movement, and or at least the start of it. Well, the start of it, because back, you know, I mean, there was this... Wow. I'd, I'd have to go back. But there was this point where it was like, you know, women are starting to come of their own. Mm-hmm. And in the 40s, they really did. Well, I mean, everything with World War II and women yeah. starting to work at jobs while the men were away from home, that sort of thing. Right, but I don't know exactly where this movie fell in that. Um, it's still that same era, though, and it has all the trappings of women starting to get a little bit more... You know, kind of on their own. And so much so that, like, her father's even like, well, I trust my daughter. Whatever she said, you know, I trust her. Which is really surprising. True. True. Because yeah, it wouldn't happen back in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This yeah. is true. So it's, it's one of those movies where you can see the transition of women becoming more powerful. It's a fascinating film. You know, you could really dig into this and dig into it by itself. I mean, I, like we've said it repeatedly, we love the other films. We love the entire Universal canon. But dig into this one by itself, I think you're going to find some really interesting psychological bits. You know, science versus supernatural, man versus woman, the duality of wolf versus man, all that. Kurt Siodmik's script is amazing in this. Some of the dialogue is just sparkling. And, of course, Bela Lugosi's in the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not in the movie for long but oh well, my god he's a, there a little bit of belly goes a long way yeah and <laughs> and you're right the script is great everything we know about werewolves comes from this script yes silver bullets wolf bait uh-huh. uh, everything comes from this script comes from this movie even the pentagram which doesn't get picked up a lot on, but it is an American werewolf in London. So, you know, even that's here. So you can really see, even though it's not the first werewolf movie, not even the first universal werewolf movie, you really see where a lot of these things came from in this film. Yeah, and good thing you pointed out, it's not the first universal. No. Yeah, that was uh, Werewolf of London. Yes, with Henry Hall, which is a great film. Oh, it's And a-, a version of that, you know, even a man who's pure at heart thing appears in that movie. But this one really locked it in. Yeah. This one sold the whole werewolf mythos. Yes. yes. And Lon Chaney Jr. as a monster movie actor, for better or worse. I mean, we're, we're going to say better because we're monster kids. But, I mean, he really owned this role. And I think of all the Universal Monster actors, he's <laughs> the one. You know? I mean, I love Lugosi. I love Karloff. But they didn't own those roles the entire time. Whereas he, you know, Chaney owned Talbot. To let him own that character for so long and he really sells it every time even in Abbott and Costello me Frankenstein he sells that role the minute he shows up on screen man I mean he's pouring pathos it's oozing from his pores yeah you know yes I don't have long to talk and then he's growling and Costello's going At midnight, I'll turn into a wolf, you and about a thousand other guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God, I love that yeah. line. But he still sells it. Mm-hmm. And, and even when he's with um, Abbott and yes. they're going to the island, he mm-hmm. still sells that role. He's still Larry Talbot. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, for it, better or worse. You know. Yeah, and it never goes away. Nope. No, he's really good in this this movie. If you ever get a chance to see The Wolfman on the big screen, like Chris and I did, you gotta take that opportunity. Oh, yes. Oh, man. All right. Oh. 
You have to. So this is not the only crash happening this weekend. There is another movie playing tomorrow night, or tomorrow during the day, excuse me, it's a matinee of Dracula's Daughter, and Chris tells me he's going to be there for that as well. Yes, I will. So I'll be there. The recorder will be there, and hopefully some other listeners from Monster Kid Radio will be there as well. Uh, We'll put that on the rest of this episode. Sounds good. You know, before we get to that point, I want to let listeners know this is all kind of short notice. The Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon is showing Frankenstein's Daughter Wednesday night as part of the Weird Wednesday event, 9 p.m., 21 and over only, and it is free to get in. So if you're in the area, join me there because there's another crash happening at the Joy for Frankenstein's Daughter. Listen, <laughs> Chris is sighing like, oh, man. I can't make it. <laughs> well, I will be there with a the recorder, so it'll, it'll be like you were there kind of. Okay, fair enough. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. What do you see in my eyes? Death. Do you like jewels, Lily? This is very old and very beautiful. Please don't come any closer. I... is weak, Dr. Goss, growing weaker. All your skill can't help her now. She's under a spell that can be broken only by me. Or death. I am Dracula's daughter. We had a chance to uh, catch some sleep, 
It's a new day. We're back at the Hollywood Theater, oh, yeah. and we just got done watching Dracula's Daughter. It was another Monster Kid Radio crash, and again, Chris McMillan is here for Dracula's Daughter. We just got done watching it. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm still recovering from Wednesday night. <laughs> Good luck. That was late, and I had to get up early, but it was so worth Halloween 3. And then last night and tonight, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting worn out. Thank God November's coming soon. <laughs> Don't say that, man. I could do this all year round. Chris is referring to a Halloween 3 was shown. I know it's outside of the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, but it's my podcast, so why not? Uh, Halloween 3. Halloween 3 was shown, and it was a 35-millimeter print, and the composer, Alan Harworth, was in attendance and did a live show afterwards. Got to chat with him a little bit. People on Facebook that follow me saw my goofy grin uh, as I was uh, chatting with him, took a picture with him. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was. I wish I could have stayed longer, but, you know, 6.30 work hour, you know, 6.30 in the morning, had to be at work. It was just not going to happen. It was a long, long night, a day to recover, and then Friday night, back here for The Wolfman, Saturday for Dracula's Daughter. Now, for this film, had you seen this one before? So, yeah, I saw it about a month ago, so this is only the second time I've seen it, because it's such an obscure one. It's not one that you find on regular rotation. This is true. It's kind of outside of the, uh, the big overall story. It's... Interesting, though, because I had forgotten that it's such a direct follow-up to Dracula. Oh, yeah, it takes place right after. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, Van Helsing is pounding the stake into Dracula's heart, and the cops come up, which brings up one of the biggest plot problems I have with this movie. Where is everybody else who was dealing with Dracula? The couple, the doctor in the asylum, they're all not around, and it's Van Helsing by himself, which is kind of, you're going, what, no one else came up and went, hey, you know, there was this. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, they didn't even get Legosi back. They just had a wax dummy of, of his head. So, you know, that's all right, Don. It's not even Van Helsing. It's Von Helsing in this. Did you catch oh, that in the credits? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. But, um, yeah, Van Helsing, Von Helsing, whatever. He's up uh, for murder. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just, it kind of works on its own pace. It's a little slow. Um, you know, because Dracula's daughter, which I'm not even sure if it is really his daughter. I think she's about as much his daughter as Lon Chaney Jr. is his son and son of Dracula. I don't know if there's like a real, <laughs> no pun intended, blood relation there. <laughs> yeah, because Von Helsing talks about uh, Dracula dying 500 years ago. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, she's as beautiful as when she died 100 years ago. Yeah. Regardless, I did like the idea that she thought she could escape the curse Yes. By destroying Dracula. Mm -hmm. I really did like that bit. That was interesting. And again, this is something that I had forgotten about the movie that she actually stole the body. It's been a long time since I've seen this. I think I've seen it maybe twice. Yeah. uh, Once on VHS and then once out of one of the uh, Universal box sets. But it's an interesting film. I really think Gloria Holden was fascinating as the daughter. As, well, the daughter. Yeah. No, she's the best part of the movie. Oh, yeah. She is amazing. I mean, if they could have brought her back as well as Dracula, it would have been excellent. I mean, I I would have gone to see another Dracula's daughter follow-up if she was in it. Because she's just mesmerizing. She is. She's got this dead stare, but her eyes are gorgeous. Her face is, like, flawless. But, I mean, the rest of the cast is pretty good, too. I mean, she's probably the most striking. 
you got Von Sloan or Van Sloan back for Van Helsing, although he doesn't really have a chance to do much. And then I forget the actress name. I'm not in front of the computer, so I can't check the IMDb. But Sander, what a weird character. Yeah, he's just creepy. It's like her manservant, but there's something deeper there. You get it that there's some sort of deeper connection. You're just not sure what it is. And the movie never really tells you. Other than he's been promised eternal life, but it sounds like it was promised with her. He's a striking figure as well. The scene on the bridge with the uh, young woman who looks like she's going to commit suicide. Yeah. Wow, creepy, but you get the feeling like, well, you know, you could jump off the bridge, but I'm going to take you somewhere where you'll at least get a sandwich, some wine, and buy a fire before you die. <laughs> you know, but there is that moment of compassion you can hear and see mm-hmm. from him. He's compassionate towards her. It's like, well, if you're going to go, let's go somewhere where it's going to be a little nicer. <laughs> let's make it nice and comfortable for you. <laughs> you know, just like with The Wolfman, this one doesn't have a lot of the continuity saddles that the later films had. And I thought it was kind of nice outside of being a direct follow-up to Dracula. You didn't have to worry about where everything else kind of fits. And that was just a fun movie for me. I enjoyed it slow. I do have fun with it. I I think most of the fun comes from the human characters, the psychiatrist and the, the assistant. It feels a little almost screwball comedy between the two of them. Yeah, but my problem is I really didn't like the psychiatrist, Dr. Uh, Garth. I mean, he's annoying. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know why Janet is hanging around him. And, and I realize that this is the 30s. There are things that are said. There are ways people behave. But still, you're just like, just leave him you can do better trust me um you know he's he's not in my mind a sympathetic character it's almost like i wanted him to die (laughs) well of the two i did prefer janet and i could watch her longer interactions with her and you know give let her kind of give the psychiatrist the boss the garth a little bit more of the business that's fine because i liked her and i thought she was adorable oh she was great she was wonderful I don't know who the actress is. I don't know what else she did, but she really could have done screwball comedy the way she was portraying that character. Um, it's just a shame she had such a... And, and I shouldn't blame the actor. He was playing it the way he was supposed to. He, it just wasn't a well-written character. It just was... An, he came off more annoying and snarky than interesting. Yeah, but I could have watched Janet all night. There was a little bit of the patter, the back and forth, the rapid fire. And I think the best scene between the two of them where he showed the most promise is when they're not in the room together. It's on the phone. And I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying. He's just so uninteresting on his own that, you know, I, I don't know. There's something a little off. Annoying is a good way to put it. Uh, of course, Van Helsing relies on him to try to get him out of trouble. Because, I mean, that's Van Helsing's luck. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I walked into the Hollywood last night, and I walked into it again this afternoon. To walk into the theater and have things like The Wolfman, Dracula's Daughter, The Bride of Frankenstein on the marquee, that's magical. And to see him on 35mm print, that was awesome. And the best part for me is that there are other people in the audience that are not having a laugh at them. They're actually enjoying the films for what they are. I don't know how many people were there, but there were kids last night and today. I didn't know seeing kids last night, but last night was like a, what, 9 o'clock showing. There might have been, but there were a lot of kids, a lot of parents with their kids, and the kids were having a fine time. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be in a theater setting for a movie like this where people aren't 
making fun mm-hmm. of it. Because, I mean, you could make fun of this. It's it's not of its time. There are a few lines that everybody kind of goes, ooh, at. Yeah. But, you know, everybody was watching this movie seri- with serious intent. They were not there to have to laugh at it. They were there to actually watch the movie, to see a slice of history, to see something that is hard to find on a big screen anymore. It's wonderful. I've got pictures of the marquee today. I had them yesterday. Yeah, they're treasured. I agree with you, and I think we're incredibly lucky because we live here in the Portland area, and there are lots of theaters here that bring in these types of movies. So Hollywood is doing a bang-up job this October. I think when I go see Frankenstein's Daughter on Wednesday night, it's going to be a slightly different environment because, I mean, that movie's been done on MST3K and a bunch of other shows like that. So, and it's, uh, Isn't it a weird Wednesday uh, offering? It is. So yeah. it's going to be a little different, but still, it was cool to see these black and white classics treated with reverence, respect, and we all enjoyed them. I mean, we weren't just sitting there studying the films. We all had a good time. It was a great experience. Oh, yeah. It was wonderful. I love seeing these movies. I, I hope that more of this happens at the Hollywood where they bring back stuff like this. I mean, I know they brought back, um, like, Abinick and Still Meet Frankenstein and King Kong. I want to keep seeing more. Not, yeah, I'd prefer the horror and fantasy ones. But yes. even some of the great screwball classics, mm-hmm. I would love to see, like, bringing up Baby. <laughs> oh, on 35, yep. big screen, yeah, uh-huh. you know. It's it's nice to have a theater like this. I am so glad we have a theater like this, and I can't wait until, well, yeah, until they get the 70-millimeter projector. That's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, the Hollywood's trying to bring in a 70-millimeter projector, so you'll have 35-millimeter, 70-millimeter, and digital. I mean, it's a pretty cool theater, and I think they've done a really good job bringing in a nice variety of films. I was complaining on Facebook at the end of September about, <laughs> come on, Portland, give me more classic horror. And apparently the cinematic gods and goddesses were listening because over the past couple of weeks, the Hollywood has just given me more and more reason to just leave my credit card at the counter. Yeah, yeah, I'm basically depositing next week's paycheck right into their <laughs> bank account. For uh, I mean, the stuff they have coming up, the Grindhouse Hammer double feature, you know. When you shot me that Fred Deckard was going to be here doing Monster Squad, it's like next week I am buying my ticket when I get paid because... I'm not missing that. There's so much going on. The Monster Squad is showing. Twins of Evil. Frankenstein must be destroyed as a double feature. Of course, there's stuff happening at the Joy as well. House of Wax in 3D. It looks like it's confirmed. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's going to be a good October. So you're going to get a lot of crash recordings this month on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> you know, we just saw a couple of Universal films. We're skipping Bride. I've seen it a couple of years ago on the big screen as part of the TCM thing. You like Bride. I mean, Bride's a good movie, I though. I love Bride. I love The Bride of Frankenstein. But I'm, I'm skipping it, too, because we've got um, the best of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival we're going to next. And that's like, what, two feature-length blocks of shorts? Yeah. That's that. I, I don't think I could do four movies in a row. I mean, I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> the Hollywood's a good theater. They've got decent seats, but uh, I don't have a decent back. So we have another four-hour block coming up here at the Hollywood, the Lovecraft stuff. So, yeah, i got to get out, walk around, find something to eat, enjoy some sunshine, because it's strangely warm on an October day, which is great. Chris, thank you for joining me for these movies. Thanks for being part of The Crash. Always a pleasure. I love these movies. I just wish I could make it to the joy, but it's it's kind of out of my transportation range right now since I'm one of those weird Portlanders that only go by bike or bus. 
I think I'm the weird Portlander who drove here. You're the regular one because you take bus or bike because that's that's what we do here in Portland. So, but somehow, somehow, I will get to the joy for uh, House of Wax in 3D because that is that is a bucket list horror movie for me. Mm-hmm. I have to see that in 3D, and the joy's bringing it. Yes. It'll be good. Now, we're going to go back to Monster Kid Radio headquarters for the finale of this show. Chris, thanks again, and we'll have you on the show down the line. And remember, listeners, Chris, well, you guys know that we're doing the Creature Podcast. That's on the way. And I, I don't know if I announced this yet or not. Episode one of the Creature from the Black Lagoon podcast, the Creature Casts Among Us, is in the can. And I was joined by Chris for that as well. And I thought it felt right. Chris was on the first episode of Monster Kid Radio. Let's get him on the first episode of the Creature spinoff. And it was a pleasure doing it. I love talking Creature. And I think we rambled on for a good long time. Oh, yeah. You gave me lots to edit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Nah, it's all good. The Creature cast among us will launch in November. Haven't decided which day yet, but it'll be a monthly show. I just got to figure out which day of the month it will always come out. So that's coming. Chris, we'll have you back on the show down the line for other things as well. I'd love to be here. Thanks for having me at the crash. finally seeing Bella Lugosi live and in the flesh, sort of, in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, I was hooked on the guy. Yeah, I like the other monsters too, but again, there was something about Bella Lugosi that drew me in, so of course I wanted to watch more. But for a grade school Derek growing up on a military base in Montana, there wasn't much for me to watch monster movie-wise. The base library wasn't renting videotapes of the monster movies, and the local video stores we'd go to didn't have much either. Now we moved to another Air Force base in Wyoming, and I ran into the same problem. That library had some videotapes for rent, but not many. And if the local Video USA had any of the classic horror movies for rent, I'm sure they would have been shelved with the modern horror movies, which was not a section my parents would let me go to. I didn't have a horror host growing up either, so I didn't even have that as an option available to me to see these movies. For the most part, I ended up waiting until I finally had the ability to rent movies on my own to get my hands on these films. And of course... I started with the basics, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and so on, partly because I knew these were the first films in the various series, and partly because the Cheyenne, Wyoming video stores didn't really have too many classic horror flicks on VHS. Confession time. I didn't really like Dracula too much when I first saw the movie. I mean, I liked Lugosi and all, but after reading those Crestwood House books and having seen Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, I expected the first Dracula film to be a bit more... Dynamic. That's not a knock on the movie. I just wasn't expecting such a stagey production. The camera was so static through most of the film. The soundtrack, and yes, I was paying attention to movie music even back then, was pretty much non-existent. The interesting still images pulled from the movie and used in magazines and books seemed to be the exception rather than the rule. I felt bad. I mean, I was bored, and I didn't really know why. Now, 
I obviously didn't let that stop me, and I continued to watch more of the Universal Monster movies. Dracula's Daughter was a little more interesting to me at the time, and Son of Dracula had Lon Chaney, and I thought it was kind of cool to see where the Monster Squad got the idea to name drop Count Alucard in the movie. Although, I suspect I already knew about Chaney using the name Alucard instead of Dracula because of those Crestwood House books. Now, before I get a mob of angry Europeans chasing after me, I'd like to say that my opinion on Dracula has changed considerably over the years. I still find it stagey, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think the pacing is slow, and the Philip Glass score that was composed and added to the film for some home releases back in 1999 showed us that adding music to the film wasn't necessary and is actually even kind of a distraction. In fact, I think most people agree that Dracula works the way that it does because it doesn't have a musical accompaniment throughout the film. Dwight Fry is amazing in the movie. He's chewing the scenery with as much enthusiasm as Renfield would chew on rats and bugs, and that's a good thing. This movie has a lot of roots in the theater since that's where the source material came from, and from the silent film era since that's where the director Todd Browning really came from. Mixing those two worlds together and you're going to have performances like Fry's pushing through the screen in a near overly melodramatic way so that, if this were a play, the people in the back row could see his face twisting and contorting, showing the man's further descent under Dracula's control. Now, I don't think Lugosi did that. He's so smooth in the film. He feels right at home to me in this thing. I guess I understand why I thought the movie was, God's help me, boring the first time I saw it, but if I want to see a movie that will let me, pun intended, seek my teeth into a Lugosi role, it's Dracula. He was so comfortable in the cape, with good reason, since he'd been playing the role on stage for years, yet still had an air of regal alienness that I'd imagine a vampire lord would have. He fits in the movie, on that set, standing on the stairs, bidding his visitors welcome. Of course, I've seen more Lugosi films over the years, and there are some I even like better than Dracula. I think the man had definite acting chops that extended beyond what he did in the movie that for better or worse, made him a horror movie mainstay. It also helps that he's surrounded with eh, the people that are fun to watch. David Manners, I think, doesn't get enough credit as an actor in a lot of these films. And of course, there's Edward Van Sloan, who really feels like he's more at home on stage than on screen, but he's still a very, very cool Van Helsing. When Universal released their Universal Classic Monsters, The Essential Collection, back in 2012, I was thrilled to find out that the movie that received the most restoration efforts in that set was Dracula. I get that Frankenstein is an important film, too, but sometimes I feel like it gets more attention than Dracula when Dracula was first. Maybe it has something to do with the obvious Jack Pierce makeup work in Frankenstein, whereas Pierce's work in Dracula is a bit more subtle and not so over the flat top. And I'm sure there's a wider appeal to the Frankenstein's monster, as he's a sympathetic character Dracula really isn't. It's not like you've got kids identifying with the Vampire Lord, whereas you've got kids that could potentially identify with Frankenstein's monster. At any rate, the restoration of Dracula looks amazing and needs to be seen by all monster movie fans, even if you're on Team Karloff. Now, watching Dracula today, I am taken by the majesties of Lugosi's performance. But it's not really the end-all, be-all of his work. There are plenty of other amazing Lugosi roles out there, as I would soon discover.
The music used in Legosi Lean Part 2 was Dance Macabre, Sad Part, No Violin by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Now that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. This is going out on Tuesday, October 7th. Remember, if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, Wednesday, October 8th, Monster Kid Radio is crashing the Joy Cinema and Pub here in Tigard, Oregon, for their Weird Wednesday presentation of the movie Frankenstein's Daughter, which, admittedly, I have never sat down and watched from start to finish. I know it was covered on Mystery Science Theater 3000 and a number of other riffing shows. It's in public domain, which means I probably own it in three or four or five different versions on my DVD shelf and in my folders right now, but I've never seen the movie straight, so this is going to be fun for me, and I hope fun for you and anybody else who joins us at The Crash. I'm bringing my recorder to The Crash, so you're going to get to hear all about it here on Monster Kid Radio here in a couple of days. Keep it locked in at monsterkidradio.net or keep subscribed to Monster Kid Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory that you use. Big thanks to Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland for joining me for The Wolfman and Dracula's Daughter last weekend at the Hollywood Theater. That was so much fun. And as he hinted at, as I hinted at, the Monster Squad's coming to the Hollywood Theater. There's also a double feature of some Hammer films coming as well. That's later on this month. And yeah, I think Monster Kid Radio is going to have to crash those as well. So if you're in the area, well, you know where you need to be. And now that I'm here back at Monster Kid Radio headquarters, I can tell you our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or you can call us at our voicemail line, which is at 503-479-5657. That's 503 479 MKR. And of course, we're also on Facebook. We have a page that we ask you to like, and we have a group that we ask you to join. Join the conversations over in the Facebook group. That's where I announce Monster Kid Radio crashes first, and then they get announced elsewhere on the internet and right here on the podcast. Also at monsterkidradio.net is a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show for as little as 35 cents per month. I will never charge for an episode of Monster Kid Radio. I'll never ask ask for money for a regular show. However, if you want to help support the show, help us meet some of our costs, like our URL, our web hosting, our podcast hosting, or maybe even eventually getting me sent to the next Monster Bash so I can get more interviews for the show, well, head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio or follow the link in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net and you'll learn how you can do that. Special thanks to our existing patrons like Chris Staggs. Chris, thanks for supporting Monster Kid Radio. I really appreciate it. Also appreciate everybody listening to the show. Without you guys and gals, I mean... Okay, really, I'd sit around and talk monster movies with my friends anyway. But I'm glad you're here to listen to us do it. Remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Talk to everybody maybe at the joy for Frankenstein's daughter. If not, see you back here for episode 140 of Monster Kid Radio. <laughs>